The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Finishing up half a year and markets are, well, shedding a tear. We got six different ways to look at inflation. And our guest, Vitaly Katzenelson, talking about his new book, Soul in the Game, The Art of a Meaningful Life. All this and much more on episode number 773 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Well, we're going to switch it up a little bit today, talk a little bit more about philosophy and life, and also talk about inflation. We're going to be having a lot of discussion with our guest today because I have a long list of questions after going through his new book, Soul in the Game. So we'll get to that in a second. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hopefully you had a wonderful 4th of July, a terrific overall party weekend that was spectacular. Warm weather is here and well, we got cold markets. We know that. There's no question about that. Some uh, end of end of quarter, I would say, window dressing that went on, plus a variety of other shenanigans that closed out the month, uh, both up and down. And of course, we are seeing some of the inflationary pressures that we have been watching so carefully with regard to areas in agricultural and maybe even the base metals, lumber prices. Those things are starting to actually roll over pretty hard, and that's telling us things that are actually good and bad. One thing is that it's good that we're seeing a slowdown in the inflationary pressures that we are all watching. Of course, oil also came down a bit. But at the same time, why is that happening? Well, one on one hand, we know that the Fed is doing what they're doing in an attempt to clearly slow down the economy in an effort to slow down inflation, to bring prices back to reasonable levels. At the same time, you have to say, well, that's great. Well, wait a minute. If we're seeing manufacturing slow down a bit and a variety of other economic indicators, as well as these various commodities start to roll, then you have to say, well, that's not so good. Consumer confidence is hitting lows again. We saw some numbers a week and a half ago that were not good on top of the consumer confidence that we saw a week before that on the University of Michigan. And of course, while some new housing numbers look pretty strong, some of the existing housing numbers and the talk of the street about people rushing to put their houses on the market on the ex existing side and a rush to drop prices already is very concerning. All this is something that we've talked about. The question is, where do we go from here? Starting in about 10 days or eight, maybe next week, actually, we're going to start seeing the earnings start to flow in. J.P. Morgan and the banks, they got a clean bill of health from the Fed last week and uh, are able to, many of these companies are pushing up their dividends and even looking at share buyback programs. That's good. We are seeing that earnings are rolling in from companies and there's good and bad. Outlook is questionable. But again, companies are, are able to do that right now, right? They're able to say, well, you know, things aren't that good and then come in and beat in the next quarter or so because everybody's doing it. Why not? But I do want to get to our discussion today because I've been, I've been looking forward to speaking to Vitaly again. He's a value investor. He's um, someone who has been on the show many times, but this time I wanted to focus in on his new book. That's really what I want to get to the bottom of and understand why he wrote this and, and, and what's the purpose and meaning of it. So as I promised, we are going to spend some time today with our guest, Vitaly Katzenelson. He is, as I talked about at the top, an author. He's an investor, and an investor, a student of life. He's the CEO of IMA, which is Investment Management Associates. And one of the things that I want to talk about was uh, his new book that came out. But I also want to talk with you, Vitaly, about your six points on why inflation is so high and also what comes next. So are you ready for all this? Sure. Well, it's, it's it's good to have you, by the way. Happy summer. And uh, I recently saw a picture somewhere. I don't know if it was Twitter or somewhere, but you and your family. What a beautiful family. Some candles were there. It was a lovely, lovely picture. Uh, 
Andrew, you're very kind. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm not that kind, but but you know, eh, I try. I'm, it, 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 it's from the heart. So you wrote this book. I have it right in front of me. It's called uh, Soul in the Game, subtitled of The Art of a Meaningful Life. Now, let, let's just start off the bat with we've talked many times in the past. You've mm-hmm. written books on investing. You're an investment dude. What was the inspiration for writing a book that was way outside of those topics? So um, it's a good question. As you get older, you realize, uh, and I'm going to quote Freddie Mercury, there must be more to life than this. (laughs) And that's kind of a realization I got over the last many, many years. And so when when I would write articles about investing, and I would send them, send them out to my readers. They would you know, be, be published on Financial Times and Market Watch somewhere or on the website. And I would send them out to our readers. I would also include a note, something, because I'm kind of about something about life or maybe about family. And over the years, what, what started is just a few paragraphs turned into articles in themselves about life and when I learned about it. And I started to get emails from readers who would say, Vitaly, I came to your article, you know, came to you for your investment articles, but I'm really staying for your life insights. Hmm. And as an, so just one thing it's important to understand as a writer, you need to have confidence to write. It's a very important factor. Like it was easy to, for me to have a confidence to write about investing because I have two degrees in, you know, in finance. I have a, I have a CFA. Mm-hmm. I, I have a CFA designation. So, uh, so for that reason, you know, it was easy for me to write about uh, uh, investing. Now, life, I'm just schmuck, you know, using language you like both can relate to, <laughs> struggling through life like everybody else, right? Wait, you're, you, don't, you're, you don't have a life expert certification? No, that's exactly right. I, like, like when it comes to raising kids, they don't come with the instruction manual, right? Yeah. So you struggle through that. I struggle through that like everybody else. But I, I've been, because I've been writing about this, I've been thinking a lot more about this. And writing gave me, gave me introspection. And um, so people reached out to me over, over the years and said, Vitaly, what you should do is take your invest, uh, life articles and turn them into a book. And I always dismissed it because, again, who am I to publish a book about life, kind of, or parents, you know, classical music, or I don't even play an instrument, or Stoic philosophy. Right. Uh, and, uh, but what happened was, I was writing this article that was going to be about Tchaikovsky's, uh, one of the pieces that Tchaikovsky wrote. And I started to read about Tchaikovsky's struggles right now composing this piece of music. And I realized there are so many parallels between composing music and writing. So I ended up writing this article where I drew a parallel between Tchaikovsky, you know, writing music and, and, and pain you go as a writer. And when I finished it, I realized this could actually help people who are gonna, who are struggling with writing. And then I thought about this. I wrote so many articles in the past that could help people that are going through you know, problems in life, et cetera. And, and this is where I had this insight. Maybe I should take these articles and put them into a book. And that's what will become, you know, I'm going to have a book about life. And I wasn't going to publish it with a publisher. I was literally just going to stitch it together and self-publish it. And then the publisher came to me and inquired if the book I was working on investing, you know, has been finished. And I said, well, that book is on ice, but I have this idea. And to my surprise, Herman House said, sure, let's, let's do it. Well, Andrew, I have to be honest. When they agreed to publish this book, I started to question their sanity. <laughs> so, I, so I actually went to two of my friends who published books with them uh, and asked about their experience. If this is a you know, really a good publisher, if they're for real. And both of my friends gave him a glowing reviews. So I ended up, this is how this book came about, except it's a lot more than just the articles I wrote and stitched them together. I ended up writing another half of the book, basically, roughly, and re-editing and rewriting a lot of the articles. So 
that's you know that's a long answer to your very good question. Well, you know the thing is, let's, let's be honest, Vitaly. If 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 you, if you read a book, or an article, uh, a blog post, or or even listen to a podcast, or some kind of maybe a biography, or maybe even a documentary, if you just get one piece of information, one seriously, not that there's places that you can't get more than that from one place, but if you can grab one piece of information that is transformational, life changing, or even enlightening. Don't you think it's worth it? Oh, absolutely. And I, the, the book has been out for less than a week. I mean, it's actually a week. The book came out literally a week ago. And I already got so many emails, but people telling me how it has been transformational to their life. You know, just, it's a, which is amazing. So that's all I can ask for. And to be honest, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I want to be net positive to society. I want to help people. Right. There's so many people so, that are sucking, sucking the juice and not repaying and, re, and and giving back. And it's funny because, as you know, I mean, in my little way, my educational forum, my podcasts, my writings that I've done over the years, a few books I mm-hmm. wrote and all that stuff. I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to actually also give back in a way. But it's the same thing as you. I wonder, you know, in the beginning, especially, you know, am I good enough? Right. Should should I? Should I be doing this? Pod? Who the hell am I to be talking about how this should be calculated and my interpretation of the information that's coming out? And you know what? By the way, do you know what changed all that? What what happened? The the yeah. epiphany many years ago. Uh-huh. I said, I know this seriously, because and and I then said, because I said so. That's how I knew. That I was at a point that, you know what? Because you question, well, what if, what if, what if? Because I can do this, because I said so, and because I could see where this goes. You know, in other words, it becomes a moment of clarity, right? Yeah. So you started out, and let's just take you through, take us through some of this. We, some of us know this, uh, and I know that there's been a difficult time for you um, emotionally and intellectually yeah. because you're from Russia, yeah. and um, you came there in in your early years. Mm-hmm. And um, you, 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 you became uh, very much uh, observational of, of your surroundings. Tell me about like the first part of this book, the student of life section. Yeah. So the, it's one of the most important things that happened to me as an adult, you know, aside from having kids and getting married, this kind of thing, writing. And writing basically gave me introspection. It, you know, I've been, you know, so the, I think Plato said, or Aristotle, forget one of them, who said, uh, unexamined life is not worth living, or, or something like this. Or, or so, or, you know, so writing basically allowed me to examine my life. And by writing, I've been, what, so I write every single day, two hours a day in the morning. And that forces me to think, sometimes about subjects that I wouldn't think otherwise. And, um, that's a, that's actually, a big commitment. It is, but I enjoy it. So I, you know, I, I, yeah, some people exercise, some people, you know, swim, you, you write. Oh, or you can say some people watch soccer, football right. and hockey right. yeah. and golf. I, you know, that's what I do. And, 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 and I really enjoy it. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with those hobbies. It's just, this gives me more satisfaction. And, but right. So the, so writing about topics, uh, help me to understand them better, maybe. And also I thought about, because writing is just focused thinking, right? Because mm. you sit in front of a computer, I have my headphones on and I just think. It's like, and uh, I push the outside world out and I'm just focusing on the sentence and focus on the next letter I'm going to type. And that forces you to come up with new ideas, rethink things that you thought before. And that's why, you know, that's why I, well, that's what gave me the confidence actually to write, you know, in part to write about this life stories because over time, actually, I felt I understood it better. I understood better that people who didn't think enough about that. Um, and uh, the first part of the book, basically somewhat autobiographical where I talk about uh, kind of, I I basically explain how, how I grew up in Russia, you know, and, uh, you know, I grew up in a, uh, Murmansk, uh, Russia, which is, if you look at the map of Russia, go up and very high up above Arctic Circle and to the left. 
uh, we're up, you know, up up there with uh, you know up there the the you know the tip of Norway and Finland, mm-hmm. um, where the there was so little sunlight in the winter that first of all they had a celebration in sometime in February when the sun like the, when the sun started to come out more. So they had a day of sun. That's how desperate they were for sun. Yeah. Number one and number two. This is a true story. I would go for like for I would go in the uh, in the morning to school when it's dark. The sun would come out for ten minutes or twenty minutes, oh and I would God. be in the class. I would be in the classroom, and I'd miss it, right? Yeah. And then I would go home, and it's dark again. Oh. So it's a so basically for several months a year, I would not see sunlight. Uh, so this may this looks like a. This, the movements made uh, Seattle look like a sunshine city. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, but you still moved to somewhere that's very rainy and all. But, um, you know, it's interesting because that, that probably gave you an appreciation to some of the basic components of living, which is the sun comes up in the morning. Simple, well, yeah, simple. especially when you live in Denver, right? Right, because no, no, I'm saying the sun comes up. I mean, that seems right. like, duh. No, no, it does. You know, not everybody. And think about that. I mean, I think for the listeners, it's really important to, you know, things like, you know, we always walk down the streets and we see the leaves in the fall on the ground, right? But do mm-hmm. we ever stop for a second and watch to wait for that leaf falling? How many times do we see the leaf falling from the tree gracefully down? No, we see all these just leaves on the ground. Just a different approach to how we see things and the timing. And and, and like your situation, very, very maybe a, a minor issue or maybe not, but there wasn't sunshine and just the very nature of having the ability to have some excess sunshine is cause for celebration. And that, that's something incredible. Point, though, is it is like a podcast we had a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's looking at the world and things, like take whatever particular item you want and try to see things differently. Isn't that the trick? Yeah, it's a, if you want to instantly become happy when you feel bad, just really imagine your life without all the things that you value without your, you know, your family, your kids, without sunlight, without trees, all these different things. And then just gradually put those things back. And then you appreciate your life so much more. Mm. And uh, because what happens that kind of, we take the world for granted, right? Like we take the fact that we, like, I'll give you this example. We have taken the fact that there was no war in Europe for the last 70 years, mm-hmm. completely for granted. We basically took it as an assumption that that's how the world should be. And that's that's the world we experienced over the last 70 years. Except before this, there were wars in Europe all the time, right? And uh and that was kind of reality of life. You know, there's you know, there's a, you know, there's a war that people died, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of pain. And my point is the a lot of times the abundance or just a, or a lot of times we, we live in a, such a unique period in time where we have so much more luxury and abundance than we ever had before. And I don't think we appreciate it as much. I'll tell you like a little story uh, from kind of growing up uh, in Russia. So I have not had Coke or Pepsi in Russia until like I had only once, maybe I was 16 years old. I had Pepsi. And I was blown away by how much I love the drink. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you couldn't really buy it anywhere. And um, then I moved to United States when I was 18. And Andrew, honest to God, I discovered that you can buy Coke or oh. Pepsi by gallons. <laughs> right. And over the next two or three years of my life, I made up for my for the, my previous 18 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I consumed so much Coke and Pepsi. Now, I I was 21 years old. I was at a restaurant ordering my third refill of Coke. Mm-hmm. And I realized I can't taste it. Like I, I'm just drinking it like water, except there is a brown water, except there is a whole bunch of calories and a whole bunch of sugar, which is not really good for you. And then I, and at the time I had nothing, I knew I was 21 year old kid who was not really that self-aware, but something made me make this decision that I'm only going to drink it on a very special, special occasions. 
Usually I drink it when I go to the movie theater, which is maybe three times a year, four times a year. That's the only time I drink Coke or Pepsi. Because it goes with popcorn so well. Exactly. And it's in, let's say, and I'll tell you this. Now when I buy it, you know, the movie theater, I enjoy it so much more. So what happens, the abundance actually, because we have so much abundance, we don't enjoy things as much yeah. as we would have otherwise. Right. And I think there's something to that. So, um, well, because, yes, because we, when you have and you don't recognize that you need or want anything, you turn out a generation of people with expectations that they will always have and no desire to do things to make anything better because they just assume that this is the way it is. And kind of that's where we are in, to some degree with the current uh, generations that have been spawned in the time of abundance. That's right. And I'll give you another concept. So like Stoics have this concept of a negative uh, visualization. Okay. And uh, like you could take it to different extremes, but one, one way I kind of use it all the time I realized that the time I have with my kids at home is limited. Mm -hmm. I used to, when I had to drive kids to school in the past, I looked at it as a chore. But then one day it hit me that my kids won't be young forever. Like, you know, now I have three kids, one is out of the house and uh, I have eight and 16 year olds still at home. I realized that my 16, 16 year old only has two school, two years of school left. Uh, so that's about 400 days that I will be able to, 400 more times I'll be able to drive her. And after that, she's going to go to college. I'll see her a few hours a week. After that, she's going to have her family. I'll see her even less. I'm so, yeah, I, I, I listen, my son, when he was little, uh, mm -hmm. maybe I don't, eight, nine, 10 years old, right? So every night I'd go in and I'd kiss him goodnight. I'd give him a big hug. I'd, I'd be kind of a crazy man hugging and kiss him. And he's dad, dad, dad. I'm like, dude, listen to me very carefully. You're going to do this until I say not to, because one day you're going to be a hairy, smelly guy like me. And I'm not going to want to do this with you, to be honest with you. So we're doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that that's kind of, uh, I mean, you know, it, there is something to be said about, about, about the old smell, smelling the roses, right? Stopping yeah. for a moment and recognizing what's going on, watching the leaf fall versus when it's down or, or the old concept, I don't know if you've heard this, but. You know, there's a story about someone who has a glass and it uh, is on the edge of the counter or a vase or pick whatever you want. And, uh, you know, they had it for many, many, many years and they loved it, loved this thing. And one day it falls off of the counter and it breaks into a thousand pieces. And one person would say, oh, my God, I'm so upset right now. I mean... This beautiful vase that's hand-painted that I had for 30 years, oh, my God, I cannot believe I'm never going to have it again. It's broken. It's terrible. It's, and they just wail and cry and just it, 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 inconsolable, okay? Mm. The other person says, you know, damn, it's upsetting, but what a wonderful memory I have, those 20 years of having this beautiful hand-painted vase that I really loved and I will cherish it forever because not everything is, is, is permanent, you know, not everything lasts forever. And wow, did I have a, just a, a wonderful time with that. Very, two very different ways of looking at things. You, it's, it's a, there are so many things that like, there are like so many stoic concepts, what we just, you know, uh, described. One way to look at it is how you frame it, right? You, so you reframed it in a, in a way that now instead of causing you pain, it causes your appreciation of that, right? That's that's number one. And number two, there is this wonderful book called The Last Lecture. And it's by this guy, Randy Posh. And um, I don't know if there was a- Yeah, I know this one. Didn't he, he had cancer? Yes. He was yes. A CEO of a company or something or, or a speaker, a motivational speaker. He was a, he was a teacher- uh, at Cornell, I think yeah. it was Cornell University. Yeah, yeah. At Cornell, I think it was Cornell. Um, and uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I forget, forget which cancer it was, but he was basically given six months to leave. And, and he gave this, can and he, when he gave this lecture, by the way, I highly encourage all the listeners after we're done, go to YouTube and type last lecture, Randy Posh, and watch that video. It is one of the most inspiral, inspirational videos ever. 
And this is a person who has six months to live and he's 44 years old. He's still, like, he is kind of like at this point in time, he doesn't, you know, he's very healthy. He can, you know, he has all the energy he had the day before, before he his diagnosis of with this cancer. And he even does like 20 push-ups on stage just to show how, you know, that, you know, even though he knows he only has six months to live. Um, anyway, so there's this book. Uh, and then he, you know, he wrote this book with the Wall Street Journal reporter, uh, you know, basically kind of sharing his insights he learned over his life. And there is one story that really stuck with me. He bought a brand new convertible uh, and he comes to his sister to pick up his kids to take him out uh, to dinner or to park. I forget where it was. And his sister sees his brand new car and tells her kids, make sure don't spill anything in the car. No, this is Uncle Randy's new car. And Randy calmly, without saying anything, opens a can of Coke and spills it on the, on the back seats of the car. Mm. His sister is completely speechless. And he's saying, this is just a thing. Yep. And yep. let me take it a step further. So Randy died, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And think about that car, where that car is today. It's probably in some kind of junkyard or something, right? Mm -hmm. Who knows what, you know, what the car is. It doesn't really matter if it had, if it had clean seats or not. Like we, a lot of times we are preoccupied with this material things because we have, the, we have this infinite life. We have forever. But when you have this egg timer, right? They have only six months then you start looking at your life differently. And by the way, the punchline of the story, that happened actually before Randy was diagnosed with cancer. In other mm -hmm. words, that was his attitude in life, period. Mm -hmm. That material mm -hmm. things don't really matter that much because that's what they are, they're things. And I tell you this, um, I personally, I, after I wrote this, I, the, 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 there is a, there, <laughs> a sub-story within the story. I wrote this, when I uh, when I was on a trip to, uh, to to Europe, and before I left on the trip, my wife said, "Can I drive your car?" And I just had a brand new. Car. I just bought a car, and I said, "Sure, but when, do me a favor. When you park, don't park like the way you know, like the way my wife and I park cars are differently. I look for the parking lot for the spot that's maybe far away from the entrance of the store, but is not surrounded by other cars because I didn't I didn't want to have dings on my car. My wife is trying to minimize the distance from the car to the store, right? Which is, so I ask her, can you please not park the car very close to the store because it get dinged up. And, my, and so I, when I was traveling, my wife would take a picture of the car where she parked it and said, see how far it is from other cars. Now, after I wrote this, I realized that actually I'm the one failing in this, right? Because what difference does it make if I have a scratch to my car or not? At some point, it's just going to be a piece of metal. And you're creating and stress. And you're creating stress for yourself and your wife. Exactly. And I texted my wife uh, while I was on a trip. I said, you can park it anywhere you want. Oh, um, see, there you go. No, but yeah. <laughs> and um, and that, and uh, so us focusing, a lot of times we focus, um, and, and another, another lesson in this, a lot of times, and especially you probably face this with your clients with your financial clients where they are saving for their retirement mm -hmm. and they think their life will start when they retire. And they basically uh, not, you know, like they, all they're focusing on is working and saving. There's, but there's, there's nothing wrong with either one of them, but it's, but, but the problem is when you think your life is going to start when you retire and you completely not stopping and enjoying the roses or paying attention to leaves or ignoring your kids because, you know, you're just focusing on this retirement thing. Like we all have, you know, we all have a, you know, this egg timer and, you know, I hopefully yours and I's egg timers are more than six months, but at some point it will be six months. Right. Yeah. So if yeah. we, if you start treating the life that you only have six months to live, you're going to make the decisions will be so much, so much better. Because you'll be focusing on things that matter a lot more, and things that matter less, a lot less. Mm. Well, let's uh, let me let me kind of segue into because there's so many 
fascinating points about this. And then and a lot of this parallels, like you talk about, you could bring up the retirement situation about understanding about, you know, when does life really start and when it starts? Well, of course, when, when it starts, you know, ending is a different story. And the fact of the matter is, this is an argument I had with many of my friends for years. When I was young in my 30s, I was traveling all over the world. And they said, what's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? Why are you going to China? I said, what, what do you mean? What's there? I'm like, I don't know. That's why I'm going. You know, I mean, that's, that's the point, isn't it? You know, when I went to Russia, by the way, and visited um, all around Russia, which was fascinating. Places that when I'll was it? When was it? When was it? I don't know. 15 years ago. Okay. Um, and, uh, oh, Russia. Let me, let me get a food question out for you. Let's see how, let's see if he's really a Russian. Well, shall we? Ready? Sure. Here's the question. You ready? Hot or cold borscht? Well, it's depends. Oh, no, it depends. I mean, this is a nuanced question. I, first of all, there's such thing as a hot borscht, but there's also, you have borscht made out of other, you know, like I think there's also, you can have cold borscht. It depends. It's hot outside or cold outside. So I, you know, I like hot borscht. I don't like cold borscht, but some people like cold, cold borscht. Well, too. hot borscht I like when a little bit of meat in there, a little bit of potato, something, but cold borscht with the sour cream, with the potato, with the eggs, kind of delicious. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's B-O-R-S-C-T, I think it is, right? It's C-H-T or something. Yeah, yeah. Borscht. Yeah, borscht. It's a beet soup uh, that is, uh, I think there's also a sorrel soup called Shav. Yeah, Shavil, that's, that's that's the one I was talking about. Yeah, Shavil, which is a kind of a green, that's I don't know what it is. bitter, it's bitterish. It's Yes, and that one is always cold. Yeah, That, that one's always cold, yeah. Right, right, right. That's kind of a, almost like a, kind of almost like a, Egg and drop soup, like because they usually put egg in it and stuff too. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. yeah. But I would I would encourage everybody to try some some borscht, some beet soup, and then uh, put a little bit of like a like a hard boiled egg in it or a, a cooked egg and some sour cream. Get it like pink, and just make sure you do not eat it with a white shirt on. Whatever you do, because it'll stay in forever. <laughs> Very true. That, that is so true. So, yes. but no. But seriously, traveling the world uh, and visiting places that I'll probably never be able to visit. For example, Myanmar, Il Burma. Mm -hmm. I'll never mm -hmm. be able to get there again ever. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Philippines, maybe not. I'm not sure. Clearly Russia's off limits for a while. China, yeah. probably, uh, a, a no go Cuba. I mean, I've been to all these places and I'm so happy I did because who knows? Now it's probably a place I want to go that I haven't gone. Uh, but, but, you know, I've been around and whenever I get the opportunity to go, I, I and I looked at my wife the other day, I said, you know, what? I'm so happy mm -hmm. that we did that because it's not happening ever mm -hmm. again. And all my friends that waited, to go on that Baltic cruise or whatever that's canceled or, you know, that other trip of a lifetime, you know, to South Africa that they just can't do because they're either too old or whatever it is. Uh, you have a, a, a chapter called um, Inhaling the World. What I talk about and when I did some motivation, motivational speaking back in the day was how to, I had a speech entitled How to Peel, Squeeze, and Suckle the Juice Out of Life. And your Inhaling the World was your experience, right, from... Um, things like uh, you're, you're learning and you're, 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 you're going around the world and things like um, why visiting a museum can enhance your trip to Ikea, which is pretty much I need uh, further explanation on that because I, I can't go to that store. I can't? Even for, yeah, even for the meatballs. I can't go. It's too much. It's too much. It gives me, it gives me anxiety or aja, as we would say. It gives me angst. The thought about anything that I like there, I'll have to put together. And I put together two things from there and it was hard. Andrew, I think first of all, you and I have so much in common. I didn't realize it because I absolutely hate putting <laughs> things together, and I and I and I always beg my wife to hire somebody to do this. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and she basically just goes to my brother and asks him to do this for me. <laughs> so, but actually, this story about this is actually I love this story. Let me tell you about the how going to modern art museum can enhance your trip to Ikea store. So my kids and I were in San Francisco and when we went to the museum of modern art and I'll be honest, I love art. I love impressionists, but modern art I always struggle with uh, because I just 99% of the time I don't get it, but I always tell myself I'll go there. There's going to be one painting that's going to touch me. That's enough. But anyway, so we go to this museum and there is this, this big white room and there is a, like there are two exhibits. On one side, there is a bookshelf that just been literally turned, like instead of facing you, it just turned, turned towards the wall. Mm -hmm. 
and that bookshelf probably came from Ikea. And then there's a, and then another side of it's just different exhibit, but uh, it's a, the logs of wood, of wood. Like, like usually I, I live in a city, so I usually see them like when at 7-Eleven where you can buy, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, right, right, that's, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and but here's the thing. You are in museum and therefore you are like, what did the artist think when he took the bookshelf and he turned it facing the wall? Yeah. Or where did the artist think about the local woods? And what happens is that because you are in a different domain, domain of museum, it actually switches your brain to trying to see some kind, find some kind of meaning or beauty in some ordinary objects that you, I mean, I'm sure if you go to Ikea, they could have flipped the bookshelf and faced the wall. It would be the same thing, except when you're in Ikea, you take it for granted and you ignore it. And my point is, there is, it's a, you can actually see, and by the way, I, I have the first one to admit, I don't think I found the meaning in that bookshelf or in the logo boots, uh-huh. but it made me think about it. And my point is that there are a lot of times in life where we walk by and we take things for granted because they kind of, they should be there. Uh, but if we switch and we try to look at it and kind of try to see art on it, we may be able to see some things that we didn't see before. Maybe it was a before. Maybe it was a before and after. The many uses of wood, the 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 raw and the finished, the the baby, the adult, the you know those kind of things. What about that? Maybe they tie together. They make more sense than just seeing seeing them individually. Exactly, and who knows, right? And I yeah, I might I might not you know it's a uh, you know, that's exactly right. But the there is a lot of times we can see if yeah we kind of go through our life mindless. Yeah. And uh, I was in uh, Salzburg uh, in February of this year. And we, t- we, t- we had a tour guide. And he said, uh, he says the words, it's kind of stuck with me. And, uh, he said, like most of the beauty in Salzburg is above your head. So in other words, he was saying, like when you, when you walk and you look around, you don't see the beauty. And most of it is in things that actually you know, kind of at the, at the, on the top of the buildings or on the facades of the buildings and stuff. And I realized when I'm walking, I'm just, that's not what you usually do, right? You don't usually look up. But, and so I would, you know, so if, if he did not tell me that, I would have missed a lot of beautiful facades that are in Salzburg that just kind of, that required me to kind of, to, you know, to, uh, to bend my neck a little, you know, to, to lift my neck. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, being mindful and being kind of aware, like and looking for beauty. By the way, this is something my father, you know, my father is a phenomenal artist. And whenever we would travel on vacation, he would always uh, bring his small easel with him and he would paint. Mm. And he would always look for beauty in anything. So we would walk and he would put his hands in front of him and like throw him into a square and trying to see if this is something he wants to paint, to uh, uh, to put in his, uh, in, in, you know, something he wants to paint. And I think I would argue that probably made him see beauty where I would just look through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so and I think maybe if you are, in a, maybe maybe the good thing about cell phones is that because we take picture, we take so many pictures. I'm going to try to find the positive where people will always oh, see negatives. Oh, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we may be looking for beauty a little bit more because we can take a picture and put it on Instagram or whatever. So maybe there was, <laughs> I just found an upside in a, in a, in a, in a, in a smartphone. So mm. here it is. Here it is. <laughs> so can we switch gears for a second? So everybody should go out and get uh, soul in the game, the art of a meaningful life by Vitaly Katzenelson uh, at your favorite bookstores and uh, Amazon, all that. Now, can we do a hard right turn sure. into uh, the world of uh, crazy prices and uh, some of the points that you made? Because there's a few things that in a recent writing that you had that I was curious about with regard to inflation. Now, some of the things that I'm looking at right now are kind of interesting where we're seeing a massive rollover in prices on the ags, on the uh, base metals, on lumber. And it's pretty interesting because those are the things that really drove up a lot of the behind the scenes inflation, right? When you're building a house, what do you need? 
Well, you need concrete, depending on what, what, what you're building, right? Concrete, you need wood, you need copper for the yeah. wires, you need all of these things that really have exploded in price for some time. And that's all of a sudden coming down. But you named clearly six points. We know that oil and gas are big issues. But uh, I've been talking for a while. I don't know if you've been listening, but the idea that Putin uh, has... Uh, for whatever reason, which I do not want to get into because I know we could spend like four hours talking about this. It's not that I don't want to. It's just I want to talk about other things. Uh, Putin is not giving up on whatever this land grab is and whatever he's doing in Ukraine. Okay, whatever the reason is, it, it, it escapes me entirely. But that is not going to help the inflation of oil prices, gasoline, certain food like wheat and, and coal, fertilizer products that come out of Belarus. Um, and no matter what they do with interest rates, it's not going to help. But where are we going? You, you call interest rates, moving interest rates up inflationary, which I thought was really interesting because you make a, 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 a you, you set out to point out that when inflation rates, when, when interest rates rise, there's another impact and that actually is inflationary. You want to go through that with me? Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's, so just, Warning. So economy is a very complex system. And I'm if I smart, if I sound like I know what I'm talking about, just discount this because uh-huh. it's a it's a it's a such a complex system that I I I have very little confidence that I know how it's gonna play out. But I'm looking at those risks and I'm looking at the risk of inflation. And to me, it's very real that it's it may persist longer than we'd like. At the same time, I can see how inflation can turn into stagflation and in itself would slow down the economy and therefore we will see lower prices. And, but let's, so let's look, at the, you know, let's look at the factors that cause inflation. So you mentioned the oil prices, uh, natural gas prices, you mentioned food. Uh, uh, we have another force that is a long, like the, I would argue that's a long-term impact on this is a deglobalization. Ah, because yeah, because globalization basically focuses you know, people to uh, maximize efficiency at the at the at the at the uh, and the and the this downside of that, you give up, um, uh, f- you become more fragile. Well, it's it's right? it, it, it's clear. It, it, it if you think about a company that's running a business, and that company says, "I need to get." a particular chemical for the process in making this product. Yes. And they say, let's just, let's just call it, uh, I don't know, let's call it uh, calcium. Let's just say calcium, okay? Let's just say mm-hmm. that. And you need calcium. And you're like, okay. So you say, how much calcium? Well, I need four tons. Oh, okay. So you send it out to your product managers. You send it out to the buyers. What do they do? They go out and try to find it from the cheapest place possible with the highest quality that you need for your product uh, process. And... They, they order it and get it, and, and, and that continues on until they find somewhere else cheaper, right? And you don't think about where it came from. doesn't matter right? where it because, came from. Because, doesn't because, matter. It's because it's commodity, right? right. But, the, but then when – and that works absolutely fine when you, when you, have, a, when you have a global system that is, fable, uh, that is stable. Now, when the global system becomes less stable and countries start looking more inward, then suddenly when you need the calcium – one country said from a country that we used to buy it from, it says, well, actually we need it for ourselves, right? Or there is a, or there's a trade war that starts or whatever, or there's a war. And suddenly you realize that where you get it from actually matters. And that you can't like, think about what happened to the manufacturing industry where like the General Motors could not sell a car because they were missing a $20 chip that goes into their into the car. Mm-hmm. It's, they couldn't sell a $60,000 car because they were missing $20 component. And I'm sure there were more, you know, more than just uh, those uh, microchips. So the point is this, deglobalization, that's what we're going to, I think we are in the early innings of, means that we're going to be producing things where we're going to make, you know, that where we, we are certain we can get those things uh, when we need them. And we may have to pay, even though we're going to have to pay higher prices for those things. And therefore, that in itself leads to higher prices. And, uh, and so then, you, you know, so the, some, of the, some of the factors that impacted inflation in the short run 
uh, you know, our kind of our short-term in nature, like supply chains. Okay, that's we're gonna walk through that. Mm-hmm. Even 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 lockups of uh, some of the cities in China. That's at some point, you know, that's gonna go away. But some things are are more permanent in nature, like government debt. You know, I'll be, we have, a, I forget, 30 plus, I forget how much debt we have. We have a huge amount of well, whatever debt. Whatever you say, it's going to be wrong because it keeps growing. So continue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have a huge amount of government debt, right? And this debt, when the interest rates are near zero, it almost doesn't matter how much debt you have because whatever it is times zero is nothing of interest, in, in, in interest expense. Now, as the interest rates, interest, interest rates went up a lot, suddenly we're going to feel the weight of that debt. And that means government is going to have to print more money. That, and that's what makes, that's what make a part of the government spending and inflation, you know, the, the amount of money in circulation persist. The, where I could be wrong is that uh, the high, high prices may lead to slow down in the economy and which we call stagflation. So it's a, like when we talk about macro, you can, you kind of become a one-armed economist because there's one hand, another hand, this kind of thing. But uh, I would argue today, you know, there is a good chance we'll be talking about inflation, you know, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. You know, the deglobalization concept that you talked about, I, I put a different moniker on. I've called it selective isolationism because while it's deglobalization, this concept uh, it's really people looking to isolate themselves from other places. It started with the tariffs against China. It didn't start there, but it really it, it yeah. enhanced. The, the tariffs against China. Now we have, um, you know, I don't think that Putin thought that the rest of the world was, I don't know how, was going to say, oh, you're bad and we're not doing things. That, that That's going to be a long time till that goes back to ever, goes back to normal, if it ever does. Um, yeah. You know, the relationships that we have there. And the problem you have, as you mentioned, with a world for 40 years working on globalization where we buy from wherever we want, all of a sudden that place isn't available, that guy's out of business, that's no longer available. It causes a real shock to the system and um, it, you know it's, it's really problematic. And this is why I think that while the Fed has the desire to raise rates, they, they have to keep talking it up, right? They can't, they can't lay off because they lay off. Oh, well, they, turned, they, turned, they turned already. You know, only a few months into this whole game. The fact is that there's no way we're going back to interest rates like they were. You can't. Just like what happened with Japan with the heavy debt load they have. They can never dump all their debts. You know, the thought of of undoing this and unwinding all this is BS because you can't unless you go back to a world of lower interest rates. And the idea of doing the quantitative tightening and raising interest rates really hard at the same time is asinine. Totally asinine. They should have stopped the quantitative uh, um the, the quantity, the, the money printing, let's yeah. call it what it is, okay? And then gone into the QT versus QE, uh, you know, some time ago. But, you know, it's, it's a real problem. So uh, in the last two minutes, are, are, are you finding that we have good values being uncovered now in names that are out there that have opportunity? Or are you saying, you know what, it's still so uh, crazy and unmanageable that it's, it's very difficult? We are finding value. We are finding values, despite we still you know we're finding values, but we don't find them as much in the, the kind of dot com stocks that kind of blew up. Yeah, the most of the values we find is just a kind of a normal companies that generate cash flows. That, you know, I think at some point the dot com like this high tech companies that were trading at fifty times revenues, I think they still have a plenty of room to fall before they become interesting for us because we looked at many of them, and we find that. You know, they just were so expensive that they have to decline a lot more to become, you know, interested in investments with a margin of safety. I mean, Facebook, more now Meta, was recently yeah. moved from the growth, the Russell, in, the Russell reconstitution, uh, rebalancing, yeah. went from the growth, always, forever and ever, in the growth, it went to value. It's the fifth largest name in the value component right now, which is Incredible. like, huh, wow, yeah. oh boy, you got to fall from serious grace. To get that move. No, absolutely. You know, it's pretty crazy. What do you have in the last couple of minutes or the last couple, actually one minute that you want to talk about? Uh, I, well, I, I'll do some self-promotion. If your listeners would like to get four bonus chapters I wrote after the book came out. Oh. 
I didn't so know they can this go, is even surprising me. Four yeah, no, bonus so they, chapters. That's right. So if they go to soulinthegame.net, they can find out how they can get four, four new chapters that I wrote after the book came out. Soul in the game, one word, dot, dot net. net. Yep. I'll put that on the show yeah. notes as well. So there you go. And, uh, you know, and since, you know, your listeners like to listen to podcasts, we have a, what I call a poor man's podcast or lazy man's podcast, probably better. Uh, it's where my articles read to you by another fellow who is a, my, sounds much better than I am, uh, than I do. And uh, so if they can find it on a intellectual investor podcast. Intellectual investor podcast. Perfect. Perfect. We'll put that all in there. Well, uh, I'll leave the offer open to you as always. When you get down to Florida, you bring your lovely family. We'll go for a ride on the boat. We'll do a whole night out. And it'll be, uh, if you ever get down to Fort Lauderdale, which every, first of all, everybody gets to Fort Lauderdale eventually. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So yes. if you do, and I appreciate it. And thank you. I'm going to thank you for everybody that is going to read your book for the way that it will touch their lives and the way that it will touch people and educate and give them just maybe maybe more than that one thing that will help them on their journey through this uh, through this time period that we call life. So I want to thank you for that and 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 and, and putting your time in uh, and, and sharing uh, what you know. Really, that 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 that's a lot. Andrew, thank you so much. All right, uh, buddy. you're such a great host. Thank you. All right, thanks, Vitaly Katzenelson. Check him out. We'll uh, have all the information on the show notes. Episode number seven seventy three on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll see you around next week for another episode of Disciplined Investor. See you soon. Bye-bye. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.